From 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Then he says, from such, turn away. Then in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. We are preparing to observe the birth and the first coming of Jesus into this world. I know it's not Christmas yet. But you just blink once or twice and it will be, won't it? We have a lot of things going on. We have a lot of things planned here. I'm sure in your private life you have a lot of things planned, maybe family things, maybe things for work or whatever. And the days are just going to go by in a hurry and all of a sudden it's going to be Christmas Day. But as we prepare to observe the first coming of Jesus into this world, what we need to remember is He's coming back, folks. I'm thankful for the babe in the manger. But if that baby had never grown up, had never gone to the cross, folks, we'd be in a lot of trouble today. But thankfully that baby did grow up. He walked among men. Ultimately he went to the cross and gave himself as a sacrifice for sin. They buried him. He rose again and he ascended up into heaven. And we have the promise from the word of God that Jesus is coming back. And so I'm thankful for that. And those are things we need to remember even when we get so busy during this Christmas season. I believe the coming of Jesus was the thought and on the minds constantly of the early believers as it ought to be on our minds today. You know, the Apostle Paul, and we're going to mention this verse again in a moment, but in 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. I think Paul was expecting to go and be with the Lord and be caught up in what we call the rapture. I don't know. It just sort of sounds like that when he says it. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, here's what Jesus said, and here's why it needs to be on our minds that he's coming back. Jesus said, in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. You know what he's saying? We'll get so busy doing our thing. We get so busy with what's going on around us that we get up in the morning. We don't even think this could be the day that the Lord returns, and suddenly he will return, and it will be unexpected, at least as far as we are concerned. In the books of Matthew and Luke, Jesus gives us two examples of those who did not give thought to the coming of God's judgment upon the world. And we know who they are. The first one is Noah. And in the book of Luke chapter 17, look what it says about those in the days of Noah. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Here's what they did. They just went about life as usual. What are we doing today? We're going about life as usual. You know, it's just tomorrow's Monday. Many of us probably already have Monday planned, maybe even Tuesday and on into the rest of the week. And so we're just going to get up every day and go about life as usual, not considering the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like it was in the days of Lot. 
what he says there in Luke 17, verses 28 and 29. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And so again, people in Lot's day, people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, just going about. It's just another day. But then in verse 30, here's what the Lord says there in Luke 17, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. He's telling us in his word, we're going to be going through life as usual when the Lord returns. So as we think about the coming of Christ, what we need to realize is there are some things that we can know of a certainty. And one of those is, of course, that Jesus is coming back. He said, you believe in God? In John chapter 14, believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And here's the part I like. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. We just talked about Acts chapter 1, verse 11 in the Sunday school class this morning. And I said, I have this image, this mental image of the disciples standing there as Jesus ascended into heaven. And they're just sort of like, you know, mouth open and eyes wide and they're watching him ascend. And those two men in white apparel standing beside said, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And then we know this, that when he comes, we who are saved are going to go and be with him. We are going to get caught up with him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he said, comfort one another with these words. We have the guarantee from the word of God, not only that Jesus is coming back, but those of us who are saved are going to be with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We're going to get a glorified body. We're going to go and be with the Lord. We're going to get a glorified body. We know these things because the word of God tells us these things. Here's something else we know. We might not like to think about it, but here's something else we know. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Had a seminary professor who said this, because we like to preach about the total security of the believer, don't we? We call it once saved, always saved, all right? He said, don't ever preach about the security of the believer without talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Because the word of God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in the body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Same thing in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. It tells us again, we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We have security as children of God, but I tell you what, that doesn't mean we can do just what we want to and never answer for it. We're going to answer for our lives before our Lord. And here's something else we know. We look for a new heaven and a new earth. See, there are things we can know about the coming of Christ. And we look for a new heaven and a new earth where the scripture says dwells righteousness. But now there's some things we don't know. There's some things we can know. There's some things that we don't know. And what we do not know, 
For one is what the glorified body is going to be like. I talked about the glorified body a moment ago. I love 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. And listen to verse 2. Beloved now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Now, my take on what John says right there is, look, you're a child of God and you just don't look like it right now in this fleshly body. But I tell you what, when Jesus comes, we're going to have a body that will be like his body and we are the children of God. We shall receive that new body. We don't know what it's going to look like. In 1 Corinthians 15, somebody asked, and the apostle Paul answered it in that letter, says, how's the change going to take place? How's this new body going to take place? He said, just like a bit of corn, a seed of corn. What you put into the ground and what comes out of the ground are two different looking things, aren't they? That thing you put in the ground to grow corn doesn't look anything like the stalk that's going to come out of the ground. We don't know what the glorified body is going to look like. We don't really know how it's going to occur. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I have not seen, ear, not heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. So there's some things we know. There's some things that we do not know. And certainly, as I mentioned a moment ago, maybe it was in Sunday school, what we do not know is when, hour, and day that Jesus is going to return. We know he's coming, but we just don't know the hour and the day of the Lord's return. And then so there's some things we may know. Some things that we may find out, we may realize. Over in the book of Luke, the 21st chapter of the book of Luke, Beginning in verse 29, the Lord's talking about his coming. And in Luke chapter 21 and verse 29, listen to what he says. And he spake to them a parable, behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. We have a fig tree in our front yard. I've been wanting to get rid of it, but my wife and my sister-in-law won't let me cut it down. But I have noticed from watching this fig tree that it's one of the last trees to put on its leaves. And it's one of the last trees to, to bring forth its fruit. And so you know when the fig tree begins to do those things, you're getting near summertime. And that's what Jesus said here. And he said in verse 31, So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Jesus said there are certain things that are going to take place. There are certain things you're going to be able to look at. And when you see them, you can know the coming of the Lord is getting nearer and nearer. And I said the title of this message is the best indicator that Christ's coming is near. And we're going to look at those. And we're going to see in the message that, that those are abounding iniquity abandoned truth and abated power. First of all, abounding iniquity. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, Jesus said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now what is iniquity? We know what it is. Iniquity is sin. It is a violation of God's law. It's a transgression of God's law or lawlessness. And Jesus said, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. Now we're not just talking about, when we talk about lawlessness, we're not just talking about a violation of man's law. 
I said it's a violation of God's law. Yes, indeed, crime has increased. Crime is increasing, and it will continue to increase. Second Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said there that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. A Facebook friend of mine was making some comment the other day, and I think I put that verse on his comment because he made this comment about the difference between when we were younger and growing up and what's going on now. You know, when we were younger, there was a certain kindness you dealt with people with, and that seems to be absent today. In fact, so many today, and especially among young people, you know, we might settle an argument by talking about it or, or working out some way, and today so many young people want to settle an argument just by taking a gun and eliminating whoever they disagree with. Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. But he says this iniquity is going to abound. That means it's going to be multiplied. That means it's going to increase and we're seeing it in our day. Now, Jesus wasn't saying there's going to be any new sin. Folks, there's not any new sin. They've given it different names. The Satan has taken it and Satan has repackaged it. Homosexuality, fornication, things like that. Now they're called an alternate lifestyle. They're called free love and things like that. And so Satan has repackaged the old sins, renamed the old sins and put them out there. And these new generations think they have found something new. God's always called it sin. God's always said that these things are an abomination. He calls them iniquity. So is there more sin in the world? I think so. Simple math. We have more people in the world today than we had in the world when the Bible was written or than we had in the world even 50 years ago. We're approaching, if it had no, I think we made the mark the other day, 8 billion people in this world. And simple math will tell you if there's 8 billion people in the world and the vast majority of them don't know Christ as Savior, there's more acts of sin in the world today. And also because of advancements in technology, I think there's more access to sin. Television, not my favorite medium. Because remember, some of us will remember this phrase, many years ago it was called a vast wasteland. I think today it's a vast trash can, you know. Every kind of filth and degradation and, that you can think of, they're trying to show on the television today. Radio, and I spent some time in radio. But the so-called, and I don't call it music, of much that's on the radio today, the things it talks about, the way so much of it treats women. You get on a talk show and, and the things they want to talk about. We have the internet, and I'm thankful for the internet. I use it quite a bit. I don't know about you. I pay my bills over the internet. And sometimes when I need information, I go to internet and look it up. I communicate with friends over the internet. But listen, it also brings the filth of the world right into our home. Do you realize if you have the internet, you have access, especially if you have children, they have access to all the filth of the world. Right there in their living rooms, in their own homes. Movies, DVDs, books, magazines. I mean, just go through the list of things. And then sometimes the things we can see right out in public. I'm not going to name the city, but I have been told that there's a city close to us that it is no longer illegal for a woman to walk down the street without wearing a top. It's just allowed. Folks, we are living in a world where there is sin abounding and there's hardly any place that you and I can go without being bombarded by sin's presence. It's up on us. 
And Jesus said, because it abounds, what's going to happen? The love of many. And I believe he's talking about many of his people would wax cold. This idea of wax cold has the picture, and if you've ever eaten anything hot, you know what I'm talking about, about blowing on something to cool it off. My family laughed at me Friday night. They brought the onion rings out as an appetizer, and I wanted one, and I bit into it, and it was fresh out of the grease, okay? And that was one hot onion ring to get into my mouth and try to get rid of. And so I should have done what? I should have taken it and, and the rest of them I did had blow on them to try to cool them off. Because, and here's the picture of waxing cold, of blowing on it. And the love he's talking about is not a fondness. The love he's talking about here is a self-sacrificing love for him. Because of iniquity abounding, that love, he said, is going to be cooled off. And I dare say, I don't know who all is watching by way of live stream, and I don't know your hearts here this morning, but I dare say that some who will hear this message would have to admit, I'm not as close to the Lord as I once was. I don't love the things of the Lord as much as I once did. Well, what's happened? There's been a cooling off. There's been a waxing cold. And as God's people, we've been caught up in a gale of abounding iniquity, and it has cooled off our love for Christ. It's the attitude of Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. What did Paul say about Demas there? Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed. This world gives a lot of opportunity for God's people to fall in love with it. Demas fell in love with it back then, and so many are falling in love with it today. It's the condition we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, which says men shall be lovers of their own selves. It's the condition of verse 4 there in 2 Timothy 3, that men shall be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. It's probably too cool and too damp today, but on any given Sunday, check the golf courses, check the lakes, check the department stores. See who's out mowing their lawns. And, and that may not be pleasure, by the way, but it's work. But check who's, who's forsaking, assembling together and worshiping God to please themselves. Sunday today has been called a day to do yard work. It's a day to sleep in. It's a day to relax. It's a day to go and visit. I read a thing the other day that said, I think it was seven books that if you'll read them, will make you smarter. Do you know on that list of seven, the Bible was not mentioned? That's the society that we live in. We live in a day of abounding iniquity. There's one other way we let our love wax cold. And it's simply by this, by saying, I know what the Bible says I should do, but I. What we have just done is replaced our will with God's will. So first there'll be abounding iniquity, but then there's abandoned truth. If you turn back to the left just a little bit to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and look at what it says in verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians 2. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day, talking about the day of the Lord's coming and so forth, should not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The Word of God says there's coming a falling away. Now, when I talk about the falling away, I'm not talking about, used to I think that was just people not attending church anymore. I think it goes deeper than that. The Word of God says there's coming a falling 
away, and it's talking about the great apostasy of the end times. Now, apostasy is basically the transliteration or the writing into English of a Greek word that literally means falling away. It is akin to a word that is translated divorce. What's the importance of all of that? Because it's talking about God's people moving away from the things that they know to be true, moving away from the things of God. It's basically James 4, 17, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's what the falling away is. Paul deals with it here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the first four verses. What does he say in verse 3? The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is the healthy teaching of the word of God. It's the right doctrines. It's the truth. We would refer to it in that way today. It's what God's will is and it's found in the word of God. And he said they'll not endure it. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Endure means to bear up patiently under it. To sustain it. In other words, the thinking is the preacher don't preach to us the truth. Preach to us what we want to hear. Because what does he say in the rest of these verses? He said they'll have itching ears. They'll have ears that one of, we have a little dog that loves to have his ears scratched. And a lot of God's people today love to have their ears scratched. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear what God's desire is. And that's among many who are professed believers today. What kind of church and what kind of preaching attracts most people today? I think feel good preaching. You know, the warm fuzzy type of preaching. Well, I can just sit there and listen to that and I can feel real good when I leave to go home. And that's what I want to hear. Preacher, I didn't come to hear a hard message. Well, what do you want? Well, make it short and sweet and don't offend anybody. That's what I want. Well, no, folks. You know what the Word of God does? The Word of God hits right to our hearts. The Word of God convicts us. In fact, James uses the illustration and says basically the Word of God is a mirror. And if you look into the Word of God and you don't like what you see looking back at you, when you look into that mirror and you don't like what you see looking back, you got to change what looks into it if you want to like what's looking back at you. We have seen and are seeing once strong scriptural New Testament churches turning their backs on the truth. For a few more people, maybe a few more dollars in the offering plate, I don't know. I heard one preacher say this and he was one that we would fellowship with today. He said this. He's getting older. And he said, you know, I preached all this standing for the truth years ago. He said, but I'm getting older now and I'm just going to preach to people to love Jesus. And that's all he wanted to do. Well, folks, I'm going to preach what the Word of God says. One man, and I'll not name him, but he's sitting here this morning. I don't know when we were talking about this. We, years ago, probably. But he said something about many of our churches out in California are getting lax on the truth. And they're turning their backs on the truth these days. Folks, we are seeing an abandonment of the truth. What's happening is that programs and teachers are being introduced into the Lord's churches that don't have a great love for the truth, that don't practice the truth. And people are being led astray. I remember when I was in seminary, and I'll not name the program right now, but there was a certain program being debated. Should we have it in our churches or should we not have it in our churches? Well, a lot of folks said, we're, we're adopting it. We're going to use it. And today we have pastors who were raised under that program who are very lax on the Word of God. 
We have to be careful about any program. By the way, Sunday school is a program. Did you know that? We have to be careful about any program that's introduced into this church. We need to make sure that it conforms to the word and the will of God. I think numbers have become the primary concern of people today, people in the Lord's churches, rather than standing for the truth. You look around you, our number's not big, is it? I thought somebody would say amen to that. Our number's not big, but I tell you what, I believe our number is a group of people that love God's word and love the truth, and a group of people that will stand for it. Well, there's going to be abounding sin. There's going to be abandoned truth. And here's one last thing, abated power. Abated power. Look at verse 5 in 2 Timothy 3. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And he says, from such turn away. In other words, he says, in the last days, one of the difficult things that's going to come upon churches, one of the things that's hard to be born that's going to come upon churches, is just going through the motions of worship. You know, we have an order of worship. We may not always follow it, right, Brother Rick? <laughs> Your pastor sometimes messes it up and then other things happen. But we generally have a, an order of worship, but we can get so caught up trying to follow an order of worship that it becomes just form. That word form has the meaning of an outline. It has the meaning of something that just resembles something else. And I think there's a lot of so-called worship going today that just resembles worship and is not true. Where does true worship come from? The heart. A lot of the thinking today is that if we can create enough excitement on the outside, it'll work on the inside and it'll make somebody worship God. Well, that's not the way the Bible says it's done. The desire for worship, the praise of God comes from the heart and it comes up through the mouth. Jesus said in Matthew 15, he said, what's in your heart comes out of your mouth. That's why some people talk the way they do. But that can also be applied to worship. If there's worship of God in our hearts, folks, when it comes time to sing, we'll sing. When it comes time to praise God, we'll praise God. And so we don't need just a form of worship or godliness. Now, godliness is true godliness. Godliness here is talking about a spiritual relationship, a true spiritual relationship with God. Our English word religion was never intended to refer to this kind of relationship, this true relationship. You know, a lot of people won't have religion. Well, religion is the devil's biggest business. And we see that in our world today. But religion was never used in the sense of true godliness. It always spoke of the outward forms of worship. And so much of modern religion is more of a show, more of a performance than it is true worship of God. It's a little different to some to attend a worship service than to attend a movie or go to the theater and attend a play. And they go out and they expect, well, I was entertained. Well, I'm sorry, you don't have an entertaining preacher. But he says it's lacking the power of godliness. It has the form of godliness, but it lacks the power of godliness. That word power talks about dynamic ability. The word, and I mentioned this in Sunday school, the word that is translated power here is the word from which we get our English word dynamite. We need some dynamite in the worship service, folks. Thank you, Brother Rick, for a few folks said amen to that. We need some dynamite in the worship. We came in, what was that first song we sang? Go tell it on the mountain. 
And I guess that's when I was thinking, yeah, let's, let's sing that. We'll wake everybody up, you know. <laughs> but we need that power, godliness, the power of godliness in our worship service. And if we're not careful, what we'll do today is just go through the motions of worship. Singing, preaching, without any conviction of sin. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you felt a true, deep, spiritual conviction in your heart under the preaching of the Word of God and in a worship service? When was the last time God used the preaching of His Word or you felt God using the preaching of His Word to deal with you in a worship service? What did you do about it? Anything? I dare to say that in our age, we're talking about power that is, is drifting away. I dare to say that in our day, in our age, the preaching of the Word of God does not carry the power in our lives that it once did. We're used to it. Familiarity breeds contempt. You've heard better preachers than this one preach, I know. And you will hear better preachers than this one preach, I know. But now listen, if it's the Word of God, it's true. And we need to listen to it. But many just feel little conviction when the Word of God is preached. Why? I don't understand it. But it's abating power. And there's little uh, response many times when the invitation is given. I know there are reasons. I'm going to base this on personal experience. Okay, I'm going to tell you, we're getting near the end of this message, but I'm going to tell you what I felt many times growing up and why many times this preacher refused to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because I thought, well, you know, I don't really do bad stuff, right? I'm okay. You know, I'm in church all the time. And I'm doing all right. Or it was this, and this was the big one. What would people think of me if I even so much as went to the altar to kneel and pray during the invitation? What would people think? I think that keeps a lot of folks from responding to the preaching of the Word of God. And because we are powerless in the Word and because we are powerless in worship, folks, we're powerless in the world. You know, I spoke in the Sunday school class this morning about carrying the gospel into the world because that's what Jesus told us to do even there in the first chapter of the book of Acts. But sometimes we just don't want to go out in the world, do we? We don't want to have to go out and tell somebody about the Lord who died for them. And so we become very powerless. I said, you know, our country's in bad shape today, I think, morally. And we're wanting it to change. And what if we elect the right people? No, that's not going to change it, folks. You know what's going to change this nation if it can be changed today? It is God's people finally standing up and speaking out and having a voice and saying, here's what the truth is. Jesus died for you and you can be saved through accepting him. But we don't have that commitment. I heard this many years ago. I believe it's true. See, communism is not dead in the world. And its adherents say this, we will eventually take over the world. By the way, just go back and read what Nikita Khrushchev said many years ago. But it said, we will take over the world eventually because our adherents are committed. We need God's people to be committed. Many today are merely involved with Christianity. And one thought before we close this out. Can you imagine 
what could happen today if the Lord's churches with the technology that we have. Remember, Jesus said to that first church, go into all the world, carry the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, under most part of the earth, there are 120 of them. They didn't have means of transportation other than a donkey or by foot or by maybe a camel. They didn't have telephones. They didn't have internet. They didn't have television. They didn't have radio. Didn't have access to printing presses. And yet 120 people went out on the day of Pentecost and turned the world upside down as the Apostle Paul was accused of doing. So can you imagine what would happen today if the Lord's churches, with the technology that is available to us today, if we would have the same desire and the same commitment that those 120 had on the day of Pentecost? I don't know if America can be changed or not. I don't know if the world can be changed or not. I sort of look with a little negative look on that. But that's no reason not to be committed and to go out into the world today. As I've studied the Bible, it seems to have been always that the Lord's standard of judgment upon this world has been the spiritual condition of His people. When people in Noah's day, when those who wore the name of God, the wore the name of the Lord in Noah's day, got like the world, what did God do? Sent a flood. When Israel adopted idolatry, got like the nations around them, what did God do? He allowed their enemies to come in and take over and judge them. And today, when the Lord's churches get just like the world, folks, I think it's time for the Lord to come back and for God to bring His judgment upon this world. God's Word prophesies some disturbing spiritual states in this world when Christ returns. We can truthfully say, I believe, that we have seen and are seeing an abounding iniquity. We're seeing an abandoned truth, and we're seeing an abated power in our world today. I believe that these, and there are many other indicators that the Lord's coming is near. And so the question is this. When the Lord returns, how do we as a church and how do we as a people want to be found? Do we want to be found serving God, faithful to Him, standing for His Word, or do we want to simply be found as those who are going through a semblance, a form, an outline of godliness without true godly power?